1 Samuel chapter 15 is the story of one day in the life of Saul. Saul was the king. One day, the events of this day unfold in 1 Samuel chapter 15. Yet, as I was studying it over the last couple of weeks, I believe that 1 Samuel chapter 15 is a microcosm of all of Saul's life. If you look at Saul's life as recorded in Scripture from the beginning of his days when he comes on the scene as an unknown, tall, handsome man who is anointed to be king to the end of his days, it is found right there in 1 Samuel chapter 15. But then, as I kept reading and I kept going over it and over it, it truly is, I believe, a microcosm of all of humanity, of all of creation. How, how creation started out good. Yet, very soon, creation turned bad. So I want to read for us 1 Samuel chapter 15. There are 35 verses in 1 Samuel chapter 15. I understand that is a number of verses, but I want for us to see the whole story. And then I have three points or three truths concerning these events. 1 Samuel chapter 15, starting in verse 1, reads as follows. And Samuel said to Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people Israel. Now therefore, listen to the words of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I have noted what Amalek did to Israel in opposing them on the way when they came up out of Egypt. Let's pause right there for a second. Now, long before Saul was alive, there was this group of people called the Israelites. They were in bondage and slavery in Egypt, and God heard them and said, I will deliver you. And he sent a deliverer. His name was Moses, and he brought up a million plus, possibly even two million Israelites out of Egypt, and they were to travel for just a few weeks from Egypt to the promised land. Yet, they disobeyed and they wandered for 40 years in the wilderness. And as they were on their way up from Egypt to Israel, Egypt to the promised land, there was a king. There was a people, the Amalekites. And they would not let them pass. Even after Israel promised, hey, we're not going to do anything. We won't take anything. If, if we get any food from you, if we get any water from you, we will pay for it. And they said, nope. And in 1 Samuel chapter 15, God says he took a note of it. Keep that thought. Verse 3. Now go and strike Amalek and devote to destruction all that they have. Do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, child and infant, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. 
So Saul summoned the people and numbered them in Telium or Telaim. 200,000 men on foot and 10,000 men of Judah. And Saul came to the city of Amalek and lay in wait in the valley. Then Saul said to the Kenites, Go, depart, go down from among the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them. For you showed kindness to all the people of Israel when they came up out of Egypt. So the Kenites departed from among the Amalekites. And Saul defeated the Amalekites from Havilah as far as Shur, which is east of Egypt. And he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive and devoted to destruction all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and of the oxen, of the fattened calves and the lambs, and all that was good, and would not utterly destroy them. All that was despised and worthless, they devoted to destruction. Verse 10, the word of the Lord came to Samuel, I regret, I regret that I have made Saul king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And Samuel was, was angry. And he cried to the Lord all night, and Samuel rose early to meet Saul in the morning. And it was told Samuel, uh, Saul came to Carmel, and behold, he set up a monument for himself and turned and passed on and went to Gilgal. And Samuel came to, to Saul. Before I read anymore, something's, something's building and it, it's about to explode. It's, it's about to, to, to burst the dam wide open. The doors are about to be flung wide open. And, and I just need you to understand that. The next few verses are, are huge verses. Samuel came to Saul, verse 13, and Saul said to him, Blessed be you to the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord, period. And Samuel said, What then is this bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen that I hear? And Saul said, They, they have brought them from the Amalekites for the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God. And the rest have devoted to destruction. Then Samuel said to Saul, Stop. Just stop. Parents, have you ever been talking with your son or your daughter and they are just digging a hole and it is going deep and deep? Sometimes when... when that is occurring in my house, and I don't know where, but, but sometimes when that's occurring in my house, I just sit back and let them dig that deep, 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 deep hole. Yeah, till they get to the bottom of it. But here Samuel's like, I'm not playing with you, Saul. Just don't even dig any deeper. Just stop. Okay? Just stop. I will tell you. I will tell you what the Lord said to me this night. 
And he said to him, Speak. And Samuel said, Though you are little in your own eyes, are you not head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel. And the Lord sent you on a mission. The Lord said, go, devote to destruction the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then? Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you pounce on the spoil and do what was evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. I have gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me. I have brought Agag, Agag, the king of Amalek. I have devoted the Amalekites to destruction. But the people, the people took the spoil, sheep and oxen, best of the things devoted to destruction, to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. And Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of divination and presumption as is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, He has also rejected you from being king. And Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your... And, And your words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Now, therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me that I may bow before the Lord. And Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you, for you have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. As Samuel turned to go away, Saul seized the skirt of his robe, and it tore And Samuel said to him, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you this day and has given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. Period. I don't know if your translation has it, if your copy of God's words has it, but mine has mic drop. And also the glory of Israel will not lie or have regret. For he is not a man that he should have regret. Then he said, this is Saul speaking, I have sinned, yet honor me now before the elders of my people and before Israel and return with me so that that I may bow before the Lord your God. So Samuel turned back after Saul and Saul bowed before the Lord. Then Samuel said, verse 32, Bring here to me Agag, the king of the Amalekites. Catch this picture. Then bring here to me Agag, the king of the Amalekites. And Agag came out to him cheerfully. Agag said, surely the bitterness of death has passed or is past. And Samuel said, as your sword has made women childless, so shall your mother be childless among women. 
and Samuel hacked Agag to pieces before the Lord in Gilgal. Then Samuel went to Ramah, and Saul went up to his house in Gibeah of Saul. And Samuel did not see Saul again until the day of his death, but Samuel grieved over Saul. And the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. Heavenly Father, as we look at this passage, Father, give us wisdom, give us insight, give us understanding into how, how this is a, a microcosm of, of all of creation. As we look at this overarching view, this overarching glance into all of Scripture and to all of your activity, God, would you show us how you are working, even at this moment. God, show me how so easy it is that I find myself like Saul. God, show the people that are in this room at this moment how easy it is to act like Saul and what your desire for us all is to be. God, would you speak? Would you, would you break down walls? Walls are being built up. Walls are built up even at this moment in the hearts of men and women in this room. God, would you break them down? Would you make us vulnerable to hear you this morning? God, would you give us eyes like you have to speak? to shine into our hearts, into our lives, that we would stop the junk and come clean to bring glory and honor to your name, for you alone are worthy. So Lord, I pray that you would speak even now in Christ's name. Amen. Three truths are three points from this passage this morning. The first is this, that partial obedience is total disobedience. Partial obedience in your life is total disobedience to God. Multiple times in the passage, Saul said, I have obeyed the Lord. Verse number 6, verse number 13, verses 17 through 23, Paul, uh, Saul, excuse me, Saul states over and over and over again that I have obeyed the Lord. And Saul did not obey the Lord. Saul's partial obedience was total disobedience. God sent Saul and Israel on a mission. It's stated that in, in verses 17 through 23, Samuel reminds Saul, hey, there was a mission. You, you had a mission. And that word mission is, is not a, a military advancement. It's not for imperialism, which was of the culture and the day. God said, no, this mission is for one reason and one reason only. It is to bring judgment on a nation. What's the difference between imperialism and judgment? In this case, it's very easy to see. Imperialism, 
I'm going to keep the king because in the culture of the day, there were kings at king's tables and they kept the best so that they could look good amongst all their friends. How many kings sit at your table, Saul? Well, I want Agag to sit at my table so that I, so that you will know that I am better than the Amalekites. And if he's at my table, means that I've conquered him and everything's better in Israel than it is with the Amalekites. Imperialism. And the advancement of it in that culture was, hey, I'm going to go out here and I'm going to look at all the quote, good stuff, and I'm going to keep the good stuff, and then I will utterly destroy the rest of it. And God said, there is nothing good here. There is nothing good here. You weren't alive, Saul. Israelites today, you weren't alive. These people are evil, and this is not a mission of advancement of your name. It is a mission of judgment from me. Therefore, everything must go. And Saul's self-deception led him to destruction. January the 13th, 1982. It was a a snowstorm in Washington, D.C. Six and a half inches of snow and ice fell in that 24-hour period, and there was a flight. It was Flight 80, Florida Flight 80, from Washington, D.C. that was going down to the uh, coast Outside of Miami, it was going to stop in Tampa, and it was to take off. But the airport in Washington, D.C. closed for multiple hours because of the winter storm. Both captains, captain and co-pilot, the pilot and co-pilot, were very seasoned. They knew what to do. And they took the precautions they thought were needed. 49 minutes prior to their takeoff, their plane was de-iced. Then they stood in line, as some of you have found yourselves just waiting and waiting and waiting. That line was long. 40 minutes passed, the co-pilot comes over the communications between he and the pilot and says, hey, I think I see some ice on the wings. And he says, okay, let me get close to the plane in front of us and we will let their heat exhaust off of their engines melt our ice. 42 minutes after de-icing, seven minutes before they take off, they try something else. Then there's communication. Co-pilot says, I don't know if this is a good idea. The pilot says, hey, I am a seasoned pilot. I know what I'm doing. They do not turn on some proper things in their instrument panel. They take off, and as they take off, something terrible happens. They try to... uh, accelerate, yet they are not accelerating. They try to pull up, yet they are not pulling up. They try to go down, they are not going down. And they hit the Potomac Bridge, and 74 out of 79 passengers die, all because of pilot error. The pilot was self-deceived, thinking that he could 
outdo nature. The pilot and co-pilot were self-deceived, putting their trust in themselves instead of knowing what they should have done. Partial obedience. Partial obedience by the part of Saul is total disobedience in front of Almighty God. Second truth this morning. Not only do we see that, but we see that uh, being sorry is not repentance. Every person in the room, me being chief among you all, has been sorry for the consequences of our sin. You've been caught in a sin, and you felt sorry because you got caught. I've been caught in a sin, and I felt sorry because of the reason that I got caught in said sin. I I was sorry because of the consequences of the sin. That's not repentance. Saul was caught. Saul was caught in this treacherous sin. Yet he is sorry for it, yet there is no repentance. How do you say that, Brian? Do you see what he says as he says down here in verse number um, 25? He says, now therefore, please pardon my sin, return with me that I may bow before the Lord. Please do this, Samuel. Samuel says, I will not. Because Samuel sees the difference between Saul's sorrow and repentance. Look back in verse 15 and let's walk through this for just a second. Being sorry is not repentance. Saul was caught in his prideful, arrogant attempt to be like the other kings around him and he sought to save face. In verse number 15, it states this, that Saul said, they, probably pointing all ten fingers, they, the the people, did this. It it wasn't me. Let me shift blame. Let, let Let me try to get out from under this the best that I possibly can. They did it. They brought them from the Amalekites. They're the ones that kept the the sheep and the oxen and the donkeys and the camels. They're the ones that kept Agag. They wanted to sacrifice all these good things, the best sheep and the oxen to the Lord. But the rest, we. You know, there, there was this, they did the bad, but let me include myself in the good. We totally destroyed everything else that wasn't any good. He blamed the people instead of taking ownership of his sin. Verse 15 and 16, digging this deeper hole, Samuel just says, just stop. And so in this, being sorrow or being sorry is not repentance. There's there's a difference between being sorry and that of Repentance. Kurt, I believe the, uh, the slide is not in the next order, but pull up Psalm 51. And let's just look at it here. Okay, as he's pulling it up, let me just tell you, here's, here's the difference. And we're going to look at this over the next couple of weeks. Saul says the same thing verbally that David says. 
Saul is caught in sin. David is caught in sin. Yet there is something polarized, opposite of the events of Saul and that of David, and it is this one word, repentance. Here's what David says. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sins, and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Stay right there for a second. In those four verses, David says the same thing that Saul said. I sinned. I sinned. Ultimately, Saul gets to that point and he says, come with me so that I can bow down before the Lord. Come with me so that I can make this right. David says, I've sinned. But then he goes so much further. He brings true repentance to his heart, to his life. And he says this in verse 5. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being. It's not just the outside that you're worried about. You could care less about the outside, Father. I know that. It's all about the inside. And you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. For you and for me to have Repentance. There must be this occurring on the inside, not just on the outside trying to save face, not just trying to make it right so that the people won't be against you, so that the situation, sir or ma'am, won't overtake you. No. From the inside, there is activity. And when there is activity on the inside, there will be a change of action on the outside. There was not that in Saul's case. Love how Samuel answers him in verse number 22 and 23. Saul says, I I devoted the Amalekites for destruction, but the people took some of the spoil. And Samuel answers in verse 22 and says, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. For rebellion, rebellion is as the sin of divination and presumption as the iniquity, as iniquity and idolatry. Let me translate that for 2018. You're sitting in that seat You're saying, God, please help me in the bind. Your religious activity. You're signing a name on a check and giving it in the offering plate at the end means absolutely, positively nothing to Him. If all you're trying to do 
is check a box and say, hey, I'm good because I did this action. Hey, I'm good because I come two out of four Sundays, two out of five Sundays. Hey, I'm good because I did this. I worked here. I did that. I served there. God says, it's junk, Brian. Obedience is the only thing that matters. When you self-deceive, saying I'm okay, when you know you're not okay, God says you are throwing potions toward witchcraft. You are bringing iniquity and idolatry, bowing down to false gods that He is not, cannot, will never be. And says that is sin. Yet you and I, you and I, not, not somebody else, you and I say, I'm going to play the game. Because I'm different than Saul, you're not different than Saul. You and I stand at the crossroads. How long are you going to play the game thinking that you're okay? How long is it going to take? How many of your wants and likes, your activities that take you away from the Father, not not take you away from this place, take you away from the Father, how long are you going to travel down that road and say everything's okay because I prayed a prayer, because I did this, because this happened to me long ago in the past? God says, That is not right. And I am speaking to you. And I am speaking to me. I am speaking to us this morning. There is no one else this is for. This is for you today. Saul says, please come with me. Please. Samuel said to him, no. He turns and walks away and Saul seizes him, grabs a hold of him. Can't you just see this in in a movie? This is the climate. This is the moment in the movie where everything changes. He grabs a hold of that robe and he's got it so tight that it's zoomed in right there. And as Samuel walks away, it tears off. Man, wow. And Samuel, unlike me, I would like have this thought like 25 minutes later. Samuel turns to him and says, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you this day and has given it to a neighbor of yours. Catch this. Who's better than you? Ouch. That sets the moment. And that sets the thought in Saul's mind of a little shepherd boy who comes in and plays the harp. That right there starts to eat away at him as David comes in from the the battlefield and those that are chanting, Saul has slain his thousands, yet David his ten thousands. And Saul says, I want to kill David. Jonathan, why do you like David? 
Don't you know that he is about to take the throne from you? No, the throne was already taken away right here. Third and final point this morning. Grateful that, yes, there is an end of a chapter, but it's not the end of the story, and God has a plan for life. He has a plan for your life. And His plan for life and His plan for your life is good. Let me read the last couple of verses in 15 and the first verse in 16. Samuel went to Ramah. Saul went up to his house in Gibeah of Saul. And Samuel didn't see Saul again until the day of his death, meaning this, that Samuel never saw Saul again. Samuel died and did not place his eyes upon Saul again. But Samuel grieved over Saul. And the Lord regretted, same word that was found in verse number 11. The Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. And the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite. For I have provided for myself a king among his sons. Period. Genesis chapter 1, everything's good. Genesis chapter 2, everything's good. First couple of verses in Genesis chapter 3, everything goes haywire. It is no longer good. Genesis chapter 3, verse 7, 6 and 7, there is sin. It enters into the world, into creation, and it separates man from God because Adam and Eve partook of the fruit. They disobeyed God and they sinned. And when they sinned, there were consequences. As that was unfolding... Toward the end of the chapter, they try to hide themselves from God. They try to cover themselves, their naked uh, bodies with fig leaves. And God sees right through that. He's like, who told you that you were naked? Who told you that you needed this? And God says, come here, Adam. Come here, come, come here, son. Come here, daughter. You can't make it on your own. Sir, ma'am, you can't make it on your own. Come here, I've got a plan for you. Why don't you put on these clothes? Why don't you put on these animal skins? Yep, they, they had animals and life, but I have a plan. And I have a plan for you to be close to me. I have a plan so that you can sit at my table. I have a plan so that you can have a restored, a right relationship with me, but you must come on my terms. Do you see that in verse number 1 of chapter 16? Samuel, how long are you going to grieve? I've already rejected him. It's past. It's already occurred. Fill your horn with oil and go. Here's the mission. I will send you to Jesse. For Here's the statement. I have provided for myself a king. Sir, God says, come here. Come here. I have provided for myself, you, a right relationship. I have provided for myself, you, a relationship. 
Here it is. It's on my terms. I did all the action. I did all the providing. I did all the work. Why don't you come? Isn't that the whole story of Scripture? Isn't that the whole story of Genesis through Revelation? That this God who created everything said to you, Sir, ma'am, you want to know me? Here it is. I've provided it. You, you want to be in a right, right relationship with me? Here it is. I've provided it. But you've got to come on my terms because I did all the work. Now you and I so often we look around and we think, well, we're, we're better than this person or that person. And we say, well, that sheep is pretty good. That action that I just did, that was pretty good. That got me an inch closer. But we forget about the 47,000 actions that preceded that or might come right after that that take us a gulf size away from Him that we will never be able to cross. Adrian Rogers stated this. I was sitting in a, in a room with him as he, as he said this to a, about 30 or 40 of uh, pastors. And I just had to write it down as fast as I could and then I was like chewing on it. He said this, the average Christian's life is so subnormal that if you ever get normal, you would look abnormal. He goes on for 20 or 30 minutes and he unpacks that for us and for me because I needed that. But let me give it to you in a minute. The way you live your life is so subnormal to where God has you and what He has for you that if you would ever just act normal, Brian, if you would ever just be a normal Christian, people would think you were nuts. You'd look so abnormal. But that is the very best that he has. It is the very best that you could ever want. It's the very best that you could ever have. Yet you and I live way down here. And he says, I have you in the sky. I have have it for you. Would you just trust me? Last story and I close. It's a little town in Germany. I'm going to butcher its, its name, but uh, the name is Ordurf. O-H-R-D-R-U-F. And in that town was one of the, if not the, worst death camps. One of the worst or the worst death camps was found inside that town. George Patton, General George Patton, I mean, he was a man's man. He was the strongest. He stood outside that town. He started throwing up just looking from the outside. It's like, I can't go in there. I am not going to go in there. Eisenhower gets there and he said, we're going in. And they go in and they get some of the civil leaders of that town. The mayor and his wife come out and they're like, how could you not know that this was going on? And they're like, we didn't know, we didn't know. And looking at it from the outside back inside, 
How could you not know? But, but being in the middle of it, day after day, one stone erodes another, 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 until there is this stench and this death that you can't escape it. It wasn't much longer that uh, these two civil leaders, the husband and wife, the mayor and his wife, they kept stating, we did not know, we did not know that they both hung themselves. And their last sentences that they stated to one another and those around them as they were performing their own suicide was this. We didn't know, but we knew. We didn't know, but we knew. We we knew, but we didn't know. Honestly, I believe that's what's happening inside your mind. And that's what's happening inside my mind. When you and I go against what God has for us. God, I didn't know that you had so great. I I didn't know that you had all of this for me. So I chose that instead of all this that you had. Knowing. Because you know. You know. Paul stated it this way in Romans chapter 1. You and I are without excuse. Because you know. You know there's something greater than you. You know there is a God in heaven. You know His invisible attributes has been plainly seen. You see the sun in the sky. You see the waves come up and He says, no more. You see the mountains erect out of the soil and the valleys go low. You know, yet you and I, why? Why, River Bend, why do we live such subnormal Christian lives? Why has not this city seen the light of Jesus from us? Why? How much more does he have to show you? How much more does he have to show me? Why? I say it to myself. Be glad you don't ride in the car with me because I yell at myself. Oh, I yell. Why? Why? You have seen so much of him. You have read so much of him. You know so much of him. Why? Father, I don't. I don't desire, Lord, I don't desire. It it is not a show, Father, for for any other reason that this must stop. God, it must stop. It must stop with me. It must stop with us. It must stop today. God, there is a city, there is a county, there are multiple cities and multiple counties in within 15 minutes of this spot that every single person should have heard and should have known and should have seen you from us. Yet, Father, we have played the game. I have played the game. I won't put it on anyone else. I have played the game. God, may I say no more. May we say no more. May we not be Saul 
may we repent and come to You today, this moment, right now. May the hardness of our hearts, may it be melted away by You so that we would obey the mission. The mission of love. The mission of the best. The mission that You have for us as sons and daughters of Yours. For You, You desire obedience over religion. Thank You for that, Lord. Thank You that You have a plan. Thank You that You have a way. Some of you in this room have never bowed the knee. You've never bowed the knee to Jesus Christ. And He has stated to you and me with His life's blood, I love you. I have the very best for you. Why don't you come? Some of you in this room are living in sin. You know the sin. It's a sin of attitude. It's a sin of of defiance. It's a sin of pride, of arrogance. It's a sin of action on the outside or, or thought and attitude on the inside. But you are living in sin and you like it. And he says, quit right now. Turn from it and come to me. Don't play the game anymore, sir. Don't play the game anymore, ma'am. Repent. And allow Him to wash you whiter than snow. Repent. And allow Him to be your cornerstone. Come to Him right now. Bring glory to His name. He has the very best for you. Why don't you come? We're going to stand and we're going to sing. And I pray you respond.